Trigger warning. This podcast discusses themes centered around emotional, physical, and sexual violence. While the stories of the survivors are meant to be inspiring and informative, listener discretion is advised. If you are struggling with any of the aforementioned issues, links to resources can be found in the show notes of today's episode. Then he started to undo my shorts, and I remember, you know, I, um, I resisted. I did what I could as an 11-year-old, um, but he sort of brushed me aside and, and kept going. And, and I, mem- I remember at that point, that was a really sort of fundamental point where something broke inside. You know, it's a, in, uh, lots of times when I've reflected on that in the years since, it's clear it was a really pivotal moment psychologically. Hi, Survivors. I'm Tara Newell. And I'm Collier Landry. And this is the Survivor Squad Podcast. Yeah. Woo. We're really enthusiastic today. Uh, it's because I just drank a double espresso. Oh. That would have added to the enthusiasm. As a New York Times article just popped up on my iPhone that said the majority of Americans are sleep deprived, I am proud to say that I woke up this morning, I checked my aura ring stats and i slept for seven hours and 15 minutes straight through no melatonin no nothing just pure i'm exhausted and i slept straight through the night i'm very proud of myself so maybe that's where the enthusiasm is coming from tara (laughs) i love this energy right now but i'm really excited for my scholarship for podcast evolutions it's gonna be in la the last week of march yeah the last week of March. I did go a few years ago when I was starting my podcast, which was at that time, Moving Past Murder. And it's a lot of fun. I met a lot of really cool people. It's a lot of fun. Yes. And you met Jamie Rice there. I did. I did. I met Jamie Rice. I met the people from Murder With My Husband. I mean, I met a lot of people there. I met Andrew Huberman, which is probably the person that I was excited the most to, to meet. I would get starstruck with him. I would be like, Hi, I'm Tara. I experienced trauma. Um, I would want to be on your podcast. <laughs> yeah, I see him at my gym a lot. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. He goes to work out with you. and He doesn't work out like... with me, but... He doesn't? No, does not, not work out with me, but he works out at the gym. I see him every <laughs> once in a while. Yeah, I work out at Gold's. I see like the celebrities all the time. It's, it's no big deal. No big deal. No, no big, big deal. deal. I'm just making friends everywhere. <laughs> no, it's a whole thing. Uh, you'll have a blast, though. It, it's cool. It reminded me of, I think my impression, I had never been to a podcast festival before, but what it reminded me of, of was like being at a film festival. You, like, you had this like sort of camaraderie, and okay. it, it, was, it, it was very cool. It was a lot of fun. Um, I got to meet a lot of people. I, I, I saw people that I hadn't seen for years that, had, that were in the film business that got into podcasting because obviously, you know, this is post-COVID or sort of at the tail end of the pandemic. So, yes. you know, they have celebrities that'll be there, like celebrity podcasters, right? Yes, Amy Poehler will be there. Yes, Amy Poehler. Parks and Recs. Yep. Yes. The year I was there, Will Ferrell was there. Um, oh, shut I up. I met Will Ferrell too, but he had a lot of handlers around him. I can imagine. He was just in the Barbie movie, you know? He was just in the Barbie movie. Yes, it's a fun thing. Learn as much as you can. Take what resonates, leave the rest. You'll have fun. Yeah. Yeah, and make lots of connections, right? Yeah, I mean, you'll have a lot. There's like a lot of podcasters there, right? So you can get on the people's shows, which will be great. 
Um, but uh, you know, yeah, you'll meet people and it's fun. It's a good time. You'll see a lot of products. I mean, I I would be interested to see like what the AI products are that, that they're offering. To strap like a GoPro to me and just film everything for you. Well, you just bring your phone. I mean, I'm sure <laughs> okay. they'll have because they're having it at the JW Marriott, right? Yes, they are in LA. Yep. LA Live, yeah. yeah, yeah. Parking, park across the street. It's like fifteen bucks. You mean you don't want me to park at your house and then you give me a ride every day? Nope. You don't want to drive in the LA traffic? (laughs) Nope. I'm good. I'm good. But yeah, the key is to park. There's a there's a little corner parking lot directly across from the theater and from the um because you don't want to park at LA Live because that's a that's expensive and it's also a nightmare to get in and out. But if you park at the lot across the street, you just boom, you just get right on the 10 and you're just boom. It's great. Okay. I'll take your instructions. <laughs> That's my Los Angeles podcast evolutions advice for you. <laughs> Perfect. I'm going to need it. And also, I'm really excited because you met Jamie there. And then Jamie is having a meetup with Generation Y this weekend. Yes, she is. Yes, she is. They're doing a little tour because I think they're in like Fresno. So they're, they're doing a little California tour. Yeah, no. And I'm so excited to see all my friends. You might be there. You might not be there. You said it depends on your juice cleanse. Yeah, I guess you're just getting handing out all my personal info. <laughs> yes. So my birthday is next week, February 28th, next Wednesday. And um, I am <clears throat> in preparation for said birthday. I have decided to gift myself a juice cleanse from Pressed Juicery. Oh, uh, you're doing that one? I am. I'm doing a. I'm doing a sort of like a. I would say a four day, you know, so like a half day and then three full days and then another half day juice cleanse. Yeah. Oh, okay. Diva so, Deb has done that. Yeah, I'm. I've never done one before. Okay. Um, I've done the master cleanse. I've done those other those other types of cleanses before, but I've never done a straight up juice cleanse. I drank mostly juice. Uh, but this will be an interesting experience. So I don't know how hangry I'm going to be on the first day because the the juice arrives on Friday morning. I'm going to do celery juice starting on that day, um, but also eat like soup or whatever, like very light meals. I've already started sort of toning down my consumption of food, food, you know, and and eating more, you know, like smoothies and stuff like that to sort of, t- you know, sort of temper my stomach a bit but um your yeah. appetite yeah to try to curb my appetite a little bit and okay. um quell my appetite may be the better way to s- describe it uh and get into the juice cleanse so i'm excited we'll see well, i'm just doing it for health stuff i just got my blood work done and there's some things i want to correct i mean I'm, I'm pretty healthy but i was like ah, i want to correct some stuff i want to go back to eating vegan i'm excited about that so Oh, nice. I love that for you. And I also did the health thing too. Got my test back. My vitamin D was low. So I need to just take more walks. Yeah. And then doctor, my vitamin D was not low, but it was lower. And he was like, well, it's also the time of year. So don't sweat it too much. Okay, perfect. Well, speaking of the sunshine, Australia is really cool. And we have a guest (laughs) today from Australia. Yes, we do. Ironically, and I was telling my um, my boxing friend at the gym this morning, uh, we he he travels all the time. And I was like, where are you going to? He's like, oh, I haven't really gone anywhere. He's like, I'm going to Texas. I was like, okay, that doesn't sound fun. Um, 
but he uh he's going to texas and because he's always going to like exotic places so he's like there's nothing wrong with texas but he's always going to like he's like oh i was just in bali or i was just in frankfurt in munich or i was in brazil like he and he randomly will go, will go and see concerts he's like i want to go see black rebel motorcycle club play but i'm going to go see them in prague <laughs> <laughs> not okay. not in not in LA. I want to go see them in Prague, or you know. So he he does these random things, and so he's like, "I'm going to Texas," and I was like, "Oh, okay." He's like, "Yeah, it's for a work thing." And I was like, "Oh, okay, I get that." But um, I was telling him how uh, my Apple memories are popping up all these photos when I was in Australia five years ago of like the beautiful beaches and all this stuff, and it's I'm like, "Oh man, I might need to take a trip back there soon at some point." Yeah. No, we should get booked out there for a show soon. Yes, that sounds like a great idea. And so our guest today is from Melbourne, right? Yes, he's from Melbourne. Well, he lives in Melbourne right now. He lives in Melbourne right now, but he grew up in New South Wales, NSW, which is you know, Sydney, which is where Sydney is, right? So um, he does not have the happiest of stories, but um, you know, it, it's it's heavy. Uh, you know, as we've talked many times on this program that we unfortunately have a lot of survivors that are survivors of uh, physical and sexual abuse. And he was in the Boy Scouts and he suffered abuse at the head of at the hands of his scoutmaster. Collier, you didn't say his name. Oh, geez, you're right. Who is it? <laughs> <laughs> it's Matt Barker. And he's got quite the story. So, Tara, why don't we get into it? Yes, let's get into it. mentioned earlier that you like to compartmentalize things do you think that that was something that came from your childhood and this event that happened or these events that happened to you that you were able to compartmentalize that trauma and now you have to do that later in life you know it definitely came from it definitely came from needing to compartmentalize at the time that this crime was going on right so I knew I couldn't talk about the abuse in this situation so I just had to lock it away and then if I locked it away that would allow me to get on with whatever I was doing with my family without them wondering what was going on so it just became a really well-practiced habit of locking emotions away but you know, that has meant that a big focus of the, the therapy that I've been doing for the last sort of half dozen years particularly has all been about getting back in, in touch with emotion because, you know, that's you, you get so used to locking it away safely a long way away that um, it never gets expressed and um, unexpressed emotion, yeah, you know... <laughs> You get all sorts of problems. Um, so, yeah, like the last particularly half dozen years has really been focused in trying to get that, break down that compartmentalization and start to integrate 
um, all the parts of me and my history um, together again. So it doesn't have to be compartmentalised. So even while it's been, it was a very good survival strategy and it really, it allowed me to get through that time, um, it's, it's not good long-term or it has, yeah, it has costs long-term. When you're going through this, this uh, personal development phase in your early 20s, right? Mm. You said in the 80s and when everybody was doing the self-help thing, right? Or yeah. when that was starting the boon. And you kind of talk, talk to me about, because I'm, I'm assuming because you talked about learning those skills of compartmentalization, right? <clears throat> At an early age. And, and you said, as, as graphic as this, this sounds, you know, having you know, being in this position where you're giving fellatio to an older man, and then ten minutes later you're in front of your family ready for dinner, mm. and having to 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 work that out yourself at such a young age, which is horrible for any child to have to go through. Mm. But when you came out with this in the self help and personal mm. development space, were you at like a conference? Like, talk to me about that process and. Yeah. How did that resonate with others? Were there other people who were like, oh my God, I've been through that too? Or was everybody just floored and like, whoa? Like, what was that like? Yeah, it, it, it was a bit of all of that. Um, so it was, we had done a, a weekend and two night workshop was the first part of this course. And then they had this next step in this course, which was a three night residential you go away and live and do this course for for three days three nights um and you know like lots of the things and it was a mixture of sort of self-help stuff and some eastern stuff that comes from eastern religions and a bit of meditation and positive affirmation all this sort of stuff and and as a part of the course one of the things they did was this um process called dropping bricks which is all about whatever it is that you've been carrying that's a weight blah 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 all that sort of um vibe and um so there was probably i don't know maybe 70 people on this course um and we're all in 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 the room together uh and i had i had not i didn't have any plan whatsoever to disclose this it wasn't even top of my mind when I'd sort of, um, you know, gone on this weekend. But as I was sitting there and some other people had got up and said something here or there, it really just started welling up in my stomach. Like it really felt like I didn't have, it was coming out, you know. It just felt, oh, this is coming and it's just happening. Um, and so I stood up and, and, and shared and it was pretty dramatic because um, I was crying and, the rest of it and so for sort of 60 seconds or so where i was sort of uh saying what i what i had to say i wasn't really much aware of what was going on it was all everything faded you know faded out in the background when i sort of stopped crying and started to look around the room again i could see most of the people in the room were in tears um Everyone was super supportive. A few people did speak to me afterwards, so they had similar um, issues, similar experiences, and, and some other people did share uh, things like that. Um, so, like, for me, 
at that time, it was a really supportive environment um, and it was a massive, massive um, release. Like literally my family, they didn't know about the abuse. I never told my parents or my siblings until much later. Well, my, my parents never found out. Um, but um, after this weekend, they were sort of like, what's going on with Matt? Like I was so happy. Like I was, it really was a, an incredible difference. Like I was dancing wow. on air. They wow. thought I, like, they, they were very worried that I joined a cult. They thought this, you know, <laughs> they, like they were literally, is this a cult you're in? I'm thinking, oh, no, I, don't think, I don't think so. Um, so it was a really positive experience for me. Um, even though, as I say, I wouldn't recommend it as a, a way of, of sure, dealing with that sure. necessarily. Um, so um, the, the only pitfall with that, and I, especially some of the younger um, people I've met recently who have, uh, who are at the stage of really just disclosing their own trauma or the events that happened to them for the first time, is that I think there's a risk of, of thinking, as I did, that, oh, I'm done, everything's better now, you know, because that's what I thought. I thought that's, uh, everything's better now. That's all I had to do was, yeah. you know. <laughs> Joke's um, on you. <laughs> <laughs> that's where they get you. <laughs> yeah, it, like because it, I felt so great at the time. And then, it, you know, and so I'm sort of like, uh, of course, you can never super careful about whatever I say to someone else about their journey and where they're at. And, um, but I, I, I really, I hope that um, anyone who has traumatic experiences um, just watches out for, yeah, that, that initial bit of disclosure is a really fantastic, important step that'll feel good and improve your life massively. Um, but that's the start, you know, that's, that's for most people, for most people, that's the start. So it's not like, uh, hi, I'm Matt and I'm alcoholic. Okay, great. We're done. I'm, I'm exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You got 12 more steps. <laughs> yeah. If only it was that easy. Hey? Yeah. It's interesting. You said that because your experience with dealing with young people and, and they're sort of uncovering, of their own personal trauma. I, I think about that a lot when you go on like TikTok or social media. I don't know if you're a social media person or not, but not really. You go on TikTok and everybody, everybody's talking about trauma. Everybody's, you know, there's a lot, there's hashtag trauma talk and things like that. But you get the feeling that there's so many people that have unfortunately experienced so many events like this, but they're just looking for like a quick fix. Yeah. You know, they're like, if I can just talk about it, then it'll all be done. And it's like, man like i wish it was that easy yeah. but it's you know i often tell people it's 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 just such a grind and a lot of times it, it it only gets harder you know yeah the more you get into it the more work you're really doing on yourself and then the the self-reflection and the accountability that you hold yourself to and the standards it just gets greater and greater as you progress further and further into the work you know yeah i i I, I really I really um, feel like that as well. Um, it is a grind. It's a good work. You know, it's a long grind and it requires, you know, for me constant, a constant effort to be really clear-eyed and honest with myself about myself. Um, and um, 
an acceptance that for me, like I've had to just accept that there's going to be some things that are always likely to be a bit difficult for me and just to accept those, you know, like um, it's, it's, it's almost counterproductive to try and hold up this ideal that you can fix every little problem that you've got, you know, or every challenge that presents itself. And that's okay. Um, Cause that's part of the journey, right? <laughs> you know, yeah, exactly. You, you can't fix everything. You can't do it right away. You've got to just, that's the beauty of it too. I think, you know, you talk about you, you get, you're into music, right? There's a certain, you know, there's a, a or, or, or you talk about cooking. There's a certain sous-son with it, right? That, 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 or that nuance that, that if you miss that, then you miss the whole thing, right? Yeah, like absolutely. The art, yeah. that's the art of it. You're right. And because this, I mean, even for people who haven't experienced some sort of significant trauma, every human has difficulties and challenges and stuff that is for them traumatic at some level. But that is sort of the human condition, isn't it? Like if you get rid of all that, then you probably you know, no longer really human. And that's, that for me, part of my um, development and my, or my work has been about actually trying to accept and enjoy even those things that are uncomfortable and annoying from time to time. It's like when you go on a hard hike, you know, the fact that it's a hard day sometimes is part of the enjoyment of a nice, good multi-day hike, you know. Um, so the challenges in life and the difficult psychological, emotional bits. Yeah, they do add. They, 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 I mean, some days I don't feel like that. Some days I think they're just bloody horrible. I wish I'd go away. Oh, sure. Um, but you know, <laughs> of course. when I'm feeling good about it, I'm like, yeah, you know, I, that's, I can deal with some challenges. That's okay. Yeah. Do you find over time that some of the memories come back to you at certain moments when you're just like at a place of happiness and then you're like, Oh, <laughs> uh, I definitely, I mean, I, I had intrusive memories for many, many years. I would say for me, um, they really decreased significantly after the criminal case. And what was really important for me was that was the first time I'd seen the perpetrator of the crimes, um, you know, since I was a kid. And there was a really important thing, step of, especially with this sort of child abuse stuff, there's this really, um, you know, one of the really ugly parts about it is even though you're being abused, because of the tools they use to get you into that position, there's also this feeling of affection and you feel guilty for feeling affection because they looked after you and they were this important person in your life. Um, and it, it makes it hard to accept the full truth of the abuse and the crime. And so for me, that criminal process allowed me to see that properly for what it was. And it also seeing him and being able to face him in court and say my piece in front of him allowed me to mentally put him in a place that I wanted him and take that control and and after i did that those intrusive thoughts dropped away remarkably so that's now like the criminal case finished i think 
three years ago now, or maybe four years ago. So, um, so that's been very nice. So I don't have as many of those thoughts anymore. I love that. And how much time did he get for all this? Um, he got, uh, I mean, you know, they, they, they give you, the sentencing in Australia is very different to in the States. And so you, you'll get a sentence for each of the crimes, like so each of the charges. So there was, from, against me, there was sort of 22 charges and then there was a bunch of other charges relating to the other boys. If you added all those individual sentences together, it would add up to like, I don't know, 50 years or something like that, right? But then what they do is they say, we'll give you a sentence in summary and they overlap all the sentences. Um, and I learned a lot about sentencing, like the sentencing that the judge was talking fast paced for an hour to deliver the sentence, you know, the, and all the details for how she had weighted against different cases and um, what laws she considered and what cases she's considered. It was, I was like, wow, there's a lot to this. Um, so the sentence that he ended up getting was 11 years in aggregate, um, which, and then he got a 25% discount on that because of the guilty plea, um, which, look, for me personally, I was happy to, ha you know, I was happy to not have to go through a trial. Um, the other thing is that, you get sentenced under the sentencing law that applied at the time the crimes were committed. Oh. So if you and and so if he got um, convicted for committing those same set of crimes today, his sentence would more be like twenty five years. Gotcha. Um, so, but yeah, it goes by the standards of the time. I mean, look. For me, fortunately, I was not hung up on the sentence. Um, sure. I knew that, and as it turned out, he'd been in jail once before and it was his fourth charge um, for abuse of children. Oh, um, so I was pretty clear at this stage that he would not be having any other opportunity to offend. Um, and for me, what was important was getting that verdict in, in court, um, I wasn't really super focused on what sort of sentence he got. Um, I know some other people were, um, and I, so I, I feel for them because, you know, so it's uh, his non-parole period will probably be up in another 12 to 24 months. So <clears throat> when you're still going through the civil case, which some of the others still are as well, you know, it feels like, oh, God, I'm still battling and he's out of jail already. But um, so, you know, it's, yeah, the legal system is imperfect. But, um, yeah. Yeah, but I think, you know, I, I, I think you're in such a great, uh, 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 I mean, I just, <laughs> just know to you for an hour. But I feel like you're in such a great place with it and that, you know, you've you've made your peace with it, and you're able to move on. I think, as you were saying, you know, and you and you and you feel bad for them. But some people get really hung up on the sentence, or mm -hmm. they get hung up on the the, you know, the the, for lack of a better word, the justice of all of it. Mm -hmm. But just the fact that he was even brought to justice, especially for something that happened so long ago. 
uh, it seems remarkable given from what I've learned from we've interviewed other uh, fellow Aussies on this mm. program who have dealt with sexual abuse, and it seems that it is a rampant problem. Mm. And just even getting a case to to be pursued by police, let alone to get someone arrested and convicted, seems yeah. to be a monumental task in in Oz versus it, it the is. United States. So yeah, no, it, it really is, and and it's because most of the time it's one person's word against another. You know, that's what makes it so difficult to get convictions. And so the, the Department of Prosecutions, they're just like, if they don't think they can get it, if they don't think there's a reasonable prospect of getting a conviction, then the, then the case won't go forward. You know, it really was. The, 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 big defi- the, the thing that swung it in my case was that there was four victims come forward. And, um, you know, we... we um, were saying things that were so, so similar um, that it really made it, uh, you know, pretty undeniable, really. It's, it's, and I think, I mean, and I think, you know, like at, when it gets to that point, the perpetrator's going, "Well, I can fight this, but I'm probably going to lose, given the case they've got. So if I plead guilty, at least I get a twenty five percent discount off the sentence." Just, just just the fact that you got some sort of justice and you've made peace with that is just it's an incredible feat because it destroys people man <laughs> yeah no it, it really does i mean that's why it, there still needs to be more work on the on the civil front um like the i was i had to started a campaign to um to overturn the use of these permanent stays um but fortunately this high court decision which for our high court all the barristers that i spoke to tell me it was a very radical decision they very rarely make such um decisions that really change the way that all the lower courts have got to um, treat a certain area um and no one was expecting it so that was fantastically um, positive development um but there is still now there's a whole lot of people who either had their cases shut down because they got one of these permanent stays applied or they were bullied from you know the intimidated from taking a case forward because they say look we're just going to put a permanent stay on so now we're seeking to have some legislation change so anyone whose case was closed down because of a permanent stay can um, have their cases reopened and they can relitigate um, so they can get some justice from the organisations that they were um, abused within. And um, there's also the, you know, the issue of, the, of, of costs. You know, there's some, we believe there's some work that can be done when you've got an individual facing an organisation with lots of power and lots of money. Um, you, there could be limits on the cost orders that can be awarded. You know, in, in my case, even though the guy was guilty, when I went, was in the Supreme Court of New South Wales, they stayed my case and they ordered that I pay Scouts costs, um, which, you know, that was the point at which I thought, well, that's it, I'm going to be bankrupt. Oh, wow. Um, so uh, these organisations, all they've got to do is, um, you know, they put on a barrister that costs some ridiculous amount per day and you know that you've got hundreds of thousands of dollars of charges running up on their side. 
So even if you've got a legal team working for you on a no-win, no-fee basis, that's fine. That protects you from the fees on your side. But if you lose, you've got to pay the other side's costs. And so that can easily be hundreds of thousands of dollars or even a million dollars. So, um, you know, that's, that's a massive block to people getting their cases heard. And that can also be used to intimidate people from pursuing yeah. these cases too. Yeah, it's, it's, it's an enormous intimidation. That's, 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 that's the main thing it does. Like normally the only people who go forward with some of these cases are the, are the um, sort of people with nothing to lose or people with so much money they can afford to lose. And I'm not either of those. So in the middle you've just got the insanely brave or just insane i'm not sure but, um, <laughs> anyway it's 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 um as i say it's you know it's not it's not all over yet um but at least thanks to that high court decision um the prospects are looking um far far better now than than they were a couple of months ago well there's hope at least oh we're- yeah where are the next steps from here? The next steps from here are um, we will uh, we're back in court on uh, in February um, and we'll get a date for our appeal. Um, and you know all the advice is that really the appeal should be no contest. Given the High Court decision, uh, that should be a, a really it should be a no brainer. And then from then, it's just about getting a um, a uh, a trial date for to have the substantial trial. Um, of course, you know, I mean, most of these things don't get to trial in the civil arena because once people, you know, if the organisation thinks they're on a loser, they will settle. Um, so at some point along the way, it could reach a mediated outcome. Um, we'll just see what see what happens. Do you have any last words you would want to share anyone that's going through something similar or just needs advice through this situation? Yeah, look, it's really tough because because people, like it's a really individual decision for everyone about how they go forward. Um, and the criminal process or the civil process is not going to be right for everyone. I think the thing that helped me to work out my next steps was focusing on what I felt I needed to benefit myself, what was going to help me move forward psychologically, what was going to give me some relief. And for me, that was that whole thing about agency. And for me, the way to do that was through the criminal process. So I'm not saying that's right for every people. And then there's some situations where it will probably be you know, really not the right thing to do at all. But certainly I think the process of really just thinking through the motivations, what you want from your next steps and what is going to give you personally relief and the ability to move forward. Um, And that could come in so many different ways. Um, So I think that's all I'd say, you know. um, the yeah I'm I'm really loath to give advice I just see the world is such a big and wide place with so many variations it's um 
I'd, I'd rather give support than, than advice, I think. Um, and certainly, you know, it's been one of the great things, particularly over the this last seven months since my sort of story went public um, in the newspapers and, and, and the Four Corners program, um, was that it put me in contact with a whole network of people and I was able to offer people support and, and get support, um, you know, and there's a, there's a really great network of people who are working to change things, to change legislation, to put supports in place for survivors. Um, so that's the other thing I guess I'd say is if, if people need support, it is out there, you know, that there, there, there is, um, there's lots of great people out there with, um, with ready to, to offer help. That's beautiful. Ian Collier, do you have any last questions? No, I'm good. Did you want to ask him what you always ask him? Yes. So, <laughs> Matt, where can we find you on social media, the whole shebang? Well, um, my social media is very limited. Um, so I've got the um, Matt V Scouts New South Wales Facebook page. Um, I think there's also Matt Wambaka on Instagram. But um, yeah, like I, I, I've sort of hardly, I, I've, I, I've had a Facebook for a while, for a long time, but I didn't do any other social media until all this happened, and I needed to start getting the word out and raising money for my legal case. Um, so I had a very steep learning curve, and some of those other survivors I was talking about, they came on and they helped me making posts and using social media. And so, I, I, yeah, I'm really a bit hopeless with social media. But, but where's yeah, the, I mean, uh, where, where can they find the Four Corners program that really kind of broke this out to the mainstream? Yeah, sure. So that's if, if you go to um, mattvscouts.com.au, that, that web page, I've got a web page, and it gives a summary of the story. It links to all the media about the story. Um, and uh, yeah, it, and also there's a contact form there. So yeah, that's that's the best place. It's um, it's uh, mattvscouts.com.au. Yeah, that that's the that's the best place for sure. Absolutely. Well, uh, we will have links to all of Matt's non-existent social media at his <laughs> website mattvscouts.com.au in the links of the show notes of today's episode. Uh, Matt. Tara and I always say that we are a part of a squad that no one really wants to be a part of, but we are all a part of the Survivor Squad. Matt Barker, thank you so much for joining the program. It's been a real pleasure hearing you share your story and your inspiration for others. Thanks very much. It's been great talking to both of you. Thank you so much. On that note, Survivors, I'm Tara Newell. And I'm Collier Landry. And this is the Survivor Squad Podcast. We'll see you guys. Bye. The Survivor Squad Podcast is made possible by support from listeners just like you. Please subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. And please consider supporting this program by visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash Survivor Squad. 